Welcome to Awake the Future. I'm Adam Weiss. When I released the first two episodes of this podcast last week, I had no idea what to expect. Thankfully, people are listening, and the number of listeners continues to grow each day. People are sharing this message with each other, and word is getting out. That's a long way from definitive proof that this is changing the world, but it's a positive sign nonetheless. In my own life, things haven't been going so well. I live in a small town and work at a small hospital where gossip travels fast. Rumors are spreading around work that I'm telling my patients crazy things, making me a liability to the organization. My boss called me into her office a few days ago. She said, Adam, I don't know what we're going to do with you. You're causing quite a commotion around here. I'm getting a lot of pressure from both administration and the medical staff. We're getting to the point where you're going to have to choose between the podcast and your job. Hearing her say that upset me, but I said, The podcast is my first priority. I don't want to lose my job, but I'm not going to stop releasing episodes. In that case, she said, why don't you use some of your paid time off while you still have it? Check back in with me in a few weeks, okay? If that's what you think is best, I told her. I left the hospital that day not knowing if I'd ever be able to work there again. I guess it gives me more time to focus on the podcast, though going to work did make for a nice distraction. This whole saving humanity thing can be overwhelming if I think about it too much. Even though my job is in jeopardy, I'm still hopeful about the podcast. I'm encouraged by the fact that the message is getting out there. What also gives me hope is Edgar's third letter, which I received last night. Here's what it said. Dear Adam, thank you for everything you have done since my last letter. When I returned to my world after writing that letter, so much had already changed. No longer is the population a mass of blind followers. People are actually making decisions for themselves. They aren't always making the best decisions, as violence and conflict are everyday occurrences, but I consider this a step in the right direction. It's amazing to be able to walk down a street and see a diverse array of human expression. There are friends laughing, couples holding hands, and individuals engaging in intense conversation. In my old world, the sidewalk was filled with zombie-like beings going about their lives without any meaningful interaction with each other or the world. I'm also happy to note that the underground community in which I lived in my former reality no longer exists because it's not needed in this new version of the world. This new world not only accepts but encourages the free expression of ideas, thoughts, and emotions. It is so encouraging to see this transformation. In my personal life, everything has changed as well. As I mentioned previously, each time I return to a changed future, my life and my past memories are also transformed. The most meaningful of these changes is that my father is now back in my life. In this version of the future, he was never taken to a rehabilitation camp when I was a child because those camps never existed. It's amazing to have new memories of growing up with my father and to have the relationship we have now. 
In my professional life, I work for an organization that is investigating the mystical experiences evoked by psychedelics. As you may know, psychedelics commonly transport individuals outside of time and space, much like my experience between lives. My research team and I, through our measurements of cognitive processes during these experiences, have been able to create a map of the substructure of reality beyond time and space. Through this work, we have made great progress in proving definitively that there is truly another dimension of reality that lies beyond our waking conscious perception. Where this research will lead us, I do not know, but it is exciting to discover these truths and share them with this world. It's incredible how different my life and world are now. I honestly had my doubts about the impact of our endeavor, but now I can literally see how powerful it is. Releasing your podcast set into motion a profound change in the future. While I have never seen humanity in such a positive state, I know this is not the limit of the potential of human consciousness. While we may have brought consciousness out of its grave, we still have much more to accomplish with our mission. Otherwise, it would be all too easy for humanity to slip back into the same position where it started. Even though there remains much work for us to do, I am confident we are heading in the right direction. I'll share with you now the details of the second ritual, the water ritual. Water is the primary element of the body. In order to achieve the highest level of consciousness, it is vital to supply the body with the purest forms of water. The water ritual connects with the fire ritual. The water in the body is the reservoir for the energy obtained from sunlight. In order to make the most of your time in the sun, you must also drink pure water. It is within that water that your body will store the light energy of the sun. In this way, the water in your body acts as a battery, storing photonic energy to fuel the body and the mind. Pure water is water without added chemicals, especially fluoride, which can block its ability to store and conduct energy. The best water is obtained directly from the earth without modification, such as spring water or well water. The molecular structure of water from these sources allows it to effectively store and conduct energy within the body. The amount of water one needs depends upon many factors. Just as with sunlight, it is important to listen to the body. It will tell you how much water and how much sunlight it needs. These two things, water and sunlight, just as they allow the most beautiful flowers to grow, will start the important process of allowing the beauty of human consciousness to bloom. By sharing these important rituals with your audience, it will help to prevent the collapse of consciousness into the mindless, tyrannical society from which I first came. It is critical to get these two things right. The water ritual is to drink the purest forms of water so that you may bring about the purest form of consciousness within you. Before I close, I must warn you that I have seen a difficult path ahead as you release these letters. To the degree to which you succeed in sharing this information with the world, a strong opposing force will attempt to stop you. There are powerful groups of people in your world who believe they stand to lose if this message gets out. They are merely self-interested parties who do not realize what is at stake, and there will inevitably be some whom you cannot save from their own destruction.
Do what you need to do to keep communicating this message. Stay the course. Do not let them stop you. Godspeed, Edgar. Well, that last part shook me up, and I'll get to that in a minute. But first off, I can't imagine what it must be like for Edgar to return to a completely different life. It's like he's a completely different person, transformed by new memories and experiences. It's awesome that his father is now back with him. His new work with psychedelics is fascinating as well. I've read a few research articles that show impressive results using psychedelics to treat mental illness and addiction in addition to their ability to evoke mystical experiences. It's amazing that they have found a way to interpret these experiences enough to map out a level of reality beyond time and space. I can't comprehend how you would make a map of something outside the bounds of physical space, but it's fascinating nonetheless. It makes me think that there might be a bigger reason why psychedelics are currently illegal. Perhaps people in positions of power don't want individuals to see that deeper reality. Maybe there is too much for these individuals or organizations to lose if people begin to see the world and themselves and each other for what and who they really are. I'm encouraged to hear how much things have improved in Edgar's world. It tells me that you listening to this podcast right now is making a difference. Somehow by recording this podcast and sharing these rituals with you, and you listening and practicing the rituals, it's setting into motion a sequence of events that a hundred and some years from now will totally change the course of humanity for the better. That's not something I can wrap my head around, affecting humanity on such a grand scale. In my practice as a nutritionist, I may help a single individual at a time get their health back in order, but even in those cases, it feels a bit strange. I mean, it's incredible to make such an impact, but it's difficult for me to think that something I did could literally change the rest of someone's life in a meaningful way. Having such an impact on a global scale, reaching far into the future, is just impossible for me to grasp right now. Sometimes I go through my day-to-day -day life feeling like I'm not making much of a difference. Maybe some of you can relate to that. But then there are those moments when you feel connected, like your life has meaning, and that you did make a positive impact on the lives of those around you. You want to feel that way all the time. You want to do things that have meaning all the time. But instead you end up wasting your free time watching TV or doing other mindless activities. But what should you do instead? How can you have a meaningful and lasting impact on society? That's not an easy question to answer. You may think I no longer worry about these things now that I'm doing this podcast, but I think about them now more than ever. When I'm not working on the podcast, I don't know what to do with myself. My mind is looking at the world on a grand scale, and I don't know what to do with that. I feel like I should be improving myself or preparing myself for the difficult path that Edgar said lies ahead for me. I feel like I should be doing more to promote the podcast. Shouldn't I be acting as if my life and everyone else's depends on this message? I sometimes feel that way, but sometimes I just want to watch TV like anybody else. At least I'll be wearing my blue light blocking glasses while doing so, and I hope you'll do the same. As Edgar suggested, the first two rituals are things I have already studied to some degree and have implemented in my own life. 
I recognize the importance of sunlight and pure water on health, but now we're adding another layer to their importance in terms of their impact on human consciousness. I think it's a good thing that the rituals thus far aren't anything complicated or difficult to grasp. Both the fire and water rituals take us back to a time in the not-too-distant past when humanity practiced them without even realizing it. Before the days of water fluoridation and artificial lighting, everyone adhered to these rituals daily. Perhaps these rituals are simply about reconnecting us with our natural way of living. I think it's important to look at the rituals through an evolutionary lens. We should be very critical of things that don't match up with our evolutionary history. An indoor lifestyle, artificial lighting, and water fluoridation are all things that defy evolutionary behavior. The burden of proof should not be in proving that evolutionary behavior is healthy, but in proving that defying such behavior has little or no risk. That's the essence of what's called the precautionary principle. When something has only been part of the human lifestyle for a hundred years or so, and during that 100 years our population's health has progressively declined, we need to take a close look at what has changed. In recent years, obesity rates have skyrocketed, mental illness and suicide rates are climbing higher and higher, autism and autoimmune diseases were once exceedingly rare but are now exceedingly common. These aren't just random occurrences, they are signs that something is wrong with how we are living our lives. They might just be signs of humanity's disconnection with nature. When you look at these rituals through that lens, you may gain a new perspective. Now, the water ritual is pretty simple. Drink pure water. There's a lot of interesting research on water that demonstrates its potential for storing energy and information. When you consider that over 99% of the molecules in your body are water molecules, it becomes clear that water is the substance of life. Research shows that radiant energy, such as that from sunlight, can charge separate water, allowing it to function much like a battery, as Edgar described. This energetic process is dependent upon the quality of the water, which is why drinking the purest forms of water is so important. Like many people, I used to think that just using a charcoal filter would be sufficient to filter out any bad stuff that might be lurking within my drinking water. While this is better than nothing, such filters don't remove one of the more toxic chemicals commonly found in tap water. That chemical is fluoride. Fluoride is known for its ability to reduce the rates of cavities. That's why it's added to toothpastes and mouthwashes. You could make an argument for using fluoride topically on the teeth, but there's a big jump between doing that and drinking it all day in every sip of water you take. The research on the effects of fluoride is concerning. Higher fluoride intake is associated with lower IQ scores, which seems like an ideal scenario for anyone who wants to create a population of blind followers. Drinking fluoridated water is also associated with an increased risk of developing diabetes and hypothyroidism. Fluoride also acts on a cellular level where it increases inflammation and decreases energy production. Fluoride not only promotes calcification of the teeth, it also calcifies other parts of the body, including the pineal gland in the brain. The pineal gland is responsible for secreting the sleep hormone melatonin, which we talked about in the last episode, and it has also been called the seat of the soul. 
No wonder fluoride is so toxic to the development of a higher level of consciousness. Additionally, there's no added benefit drinking fluoride over using fluoride toothpaste. Swallowing it doesn't benefit the teeth any more than topical application through brushing. Even brushing with fluoride may not be the best idea, but at least you can choose what type of toothpaste you want to buy at the store. I can't believe we all passively allow the government to add a toxic chemical, a drug no less, to the water supply when it does nothing good for us and only brings the potential for harm. As a nutritionist, I realize that the most important part of our diet is the water we drink. People go out of their way to choose organic produce and grass-fed meats, but they don't think twice about the quality of water they drink. We need to make the quality of our drinking water a top priority in our diet. It's worth pointing out that much of the world does not add fluoride to their water supply. While it's quite common in the United States, Canada, Australia, and a handful of other countries, there remains much of the world that doesn't fluoridate their water. But even if you're lucky enough to not have fluoridated tap water, you still might want to look for a better option. Not only are there likely other toxic chemicals like chlorine added to your water, there are also significant differences in the structure of the water molecules when compared to those found in spring water and well water. As Edgar said, it is important to obtain water from these natural sources in order to ensure that its structural integrity is maintained. Now this doesn't mean that all natural sources of water are fit to drink. There can still be plenty of contaminants in well water and spring water. It's always a good idea to test your water supply so that you know what you are putting in your body. Personally, I go to a local flowing well where I collect my drinking water in 5-gallon glass jugs there are websites available that can help you locate a natural water supply in your area. I'll post links on my site at awakethefuture.com water. Another option is to purchase spring water from the grocery store or have it delivered to your home. If you don't have a reliable source of spring or well water, another option is to install a reverse osmosis filtration system in your home, which will effectively remove fluoride from your tap water. We must all do the best we can to make sure the water we drink is of the highest quality. Now back to Edgar's comments at the end of the letter, where he basically says some bad people are going to be out to get me. As ill-prepared as I was to share these letters with the world, I'm even less prepared to defend myself from powerful people who want to do me harm. Maybe they will just launch some kind of cyber attack and try to take down the podcast episodes, or maybe they'll take a more direct route and try to physically stop me, maybe even try to kill me. I don't know what I could do if that were the case. I don't have any martial arts training. I don't own or know how to use a gun. Considering that these might be some of the most powerful people in the world, I don't know how much good any of that would do me anyway. Faced with a physical threat, I think my only option would be to run and hide. Maybe I could try to go off the grid where they couldn't find me. It's something I may prepare for, but I feel like I should at least wait until there is some sign of danger. Is that naive? I don't know. I wish I had some kind of proof that any of this is real and isn't just in my head. Maybe that's why I'm hesitant to take any drastic measures. Maybe I'm afraid it would just confirm my lunacy. I guess if someone tries to kill me, it would serve as proof that this is all real. Maybe I should be careful what I wish for. 
Before I sign off, I want to tell you about something else. I had the strangest dream last night. In this dream, I wasn't myself. Every other dream I've ever had was from my own perspective. But in this dream, it was from someone else's point of view. But in a way, it was still me. This was the same night in which Edgar wrote me the letter, but I wasn't Edgar in the dream either. I was someone else. I think I had a dream about my past life. The dream was incredibly vivid, like no other dream I've ever had before. It was no different than how I perceived my waking life, except it was like a movie and that I was merely an observer. This reminded me of how Edgar described his visits to his past and how he could relive those past moments. He was able to change the past if he wanted, but otherwise the moments played out like a movie. All these factors make me think that my dream was a re-experiencing of my past life. I have to wonder if Edgar entering my consciousness affected my mind in other ways. It might have altered my perception of time and space beyond just when he was in my head. It seems that when Edgar broke the divide between our lives, the divide between my life and the past may have also been broken. Is it possible that by Edgar entering my consciousness, it opened up a gateway within my mind that separates my consciousness from my past lives? Much like we might dream about past events in our current lives, is it also possible to dream about events in our past lives once the conscious divide that separates them is broken? These thoughts give much greater meaning to the dream I had, and I'll share those details with you now. I found myself in a hospital bed in a large room filled with other hospital beds. It was 1940, London, and I was a wounded British soldier during the Second World War. I had a painful headache and felt slightly sedated. I'm not sure if this was due to the dream state or if I was medicated. I had a bandage wrapped around my head, and I remembered having blacked out after a blast at the military base where I was stationed. I saw a young nurse who was making her rounds with the patients. She carried herself with a graceful elegance that stood out amid the chaos of the surroundings. She then stopped at my bed, and I found myself suddenly overcome with emotion. As I looked into her blue-green eyes, I felt like I knew her. Not just my World War II-era self, I, my current self, recognized her. She was a beautiful woman, probably in her mid-twenties. She was clearly overworked, tending to so many wounded soldiers, but she still carried herself with such grace and kindness that it felt like an angel was standing over my bed. David, I'm your nurse, Catherine, she said. How are you feeling? I've got an awful headache, I said. She sat down on the edge of the bed to replace the bandage on my head. You've had a concussion, she said. We're going to keep you here overnight, but you should be able to leave in the morning. The best thing to do now is to get some rest. She smiled softly and gazed into my eyes for a moment. It wasn't clear to me if she treated all her patients this way, but it seemed to both David and myself that she might have been feeling something similar to what we were feeling. When she finished changing the bandage, she asked if I had any questions. Gathering some courage, perhaps with some help from the pain medication, I asked her, when can I see you again? She looked away briefly and then back at me. I'll be at the Paramount Dance Hall on Saturday night with my friends. You should come. 
She then gave me a coy smile before moving on to her next patient. That was all I remember from the dream. I think it was a meaningful part of my past life, and I can only assume a relationship developed between David and Catherine after that. But there was something else profound about that dream. The way David and I felt when we met Catherine makes me think that she might have been someone we have known across multiple lifetimes. It makes me wonder if Catherine has been reincarnated into my current lifetime and if she is the woman Edgar said I would meet. She seems so familiar to me that I wouldn't be surprised if it was her. Maybe it's Catherine's soul in my current lifetime who needs to learn and practice the rituals in order for us to have the best chance of saving humanity. In any case, this dream and the letters have me thinking a lot about free will and fate. The future that Edgar initially described was one where individuals voluntarily gave up their free will in order to live more comfortable, predictable, and purposeless lives. They sacrificed their ability to influence and change the world for the comfort of knowing they weren't going to feel any anxiety, fear, guilt, or any other negative emotion that comes with living a meaningful life. For me, the thought of that kind of existence is dreadful. I enjoy having a life of purpose and possibility. Like anyone, I don't enjoy the negative emotions and anxiety that an open-ended life creates, but I'd rather have those than trade them in for a life that numbs both pain and pleasure. If given the choice, however, between a life of pain, especially meaningless pain, and a life of nothing or emptiness, I would be tempted to choose the latter. I imagine that was the dilemma faced by the population that led to their resignation. If the vast majority of people felt there was no purpose to their lives, and that any attempt at living a meaningful life would only lead to more pain, I can imagine that many people were more than willing to give that up for a comfortable, meaningless existence. I think one of the main things we are trying to accomplish through this mission is to change human consciousness in a way that motivates people to want to seize the opportunity within themselves to live a meaningful life. It seems that practicing the rituals will facilitate this. Without the rituals, without the cultivation of the mind and consciousness, surrender of free will is inevitable. Part of the challenge in preventing or reversing this trajectory is that it takes a healthy mind to see the pattern develop. If our consciousness begins to erode, then we might fail to see that the way we are living is causing our own destruction. It doesn't help that authoritative entities support destructive practices such as avoiding sunlight and adding toxic chemicals like fluoride to our water supply. It's not clear if there is an ulterior motive or if they simply are also unable to see the negative trend and its causes. We must not wait to find out. We must develop an independent mind and practice the rituals that will nurture our consciousness so that we will be able to see these potential harms before they consume our reality. In sharing this information with you, I see that I have a great responsibility to help you discover or rediscover your potential to strengthen your free will and consciousness so that you can live a life of meaning and purpose. Even in our time, it is too easy to take a mindless path rather than consciously choosing our own fate with intention. I can't help but wonder, though, how much we are really in control of creating our own destiny. It seems that my life's purpose has already been chosen for me in many ways, 
and I'm just here to fulfill that duty rather than create a path for myself of my own volition? Do I decide my own fate, or has this all been decided for me? The same question holds true for David and Catherine. Was it always his fate to meet her, or was it the result of the decisions and choices he made in his life and she in hers? In my limited understanding of how multiple lives and reincarnation might work, it seems that we create much of the outline for our future life before we are born, but free will is still a factor in deciding what course of action we take. The purpose of each life is to learn and grow, to further develop one's consciousness. When we plan our lives before rebirth, we try to give ourselves opportunities to learn the lessons we need to learn, creating obstacles and challenges for ourselves with the purpose of seeing if we can overcome them, or at least better ourselves through the adversity. Some say that the most evolved souls live the most difficult lives, and that it's through the challenges they face that they grow the most. Presumably we don't give ourselves challenges we can't handle, though it is possible that in any given life we can fail to learn the lessons we needed to learn. However, through further reincarnations, we can revisit those lessons and give ourselves additional opportunities for growth. I don't know if I have that luxury in this life. If I fail with this podcast, then the ability for all of us to reincarnate may be lost. I may have only one chance to get this right, and I think my life has been mapped out in more detail as a result. Getting these specific instructions from my future self is reassuring, because it tells me I am not alone in this mission. At the same time, I can't help but feel a little like a puppet, with someone else pulling the strings. Maybe the lesson I need to learn in this life is how to simply fulfill my destiny and not question the authority of those who are providing the instructions. The irony is that that is exactly what we are trying to save consciousness from. If the goal is to encourage people to think for themselves and not just blindly do what they are told, it makes me wonder if my actions are any different. Am I just a blind follower? Maybe I'm overthinking things. I think I'll wrap things up with that. You've got two rituals now. Go get some sunlight and good water and grow your consciousness. Also make sure to check out the resources related to the water ritual at awakethefuture.com water. I'll post the next episode after I receive another letter from Edgar. As always, please share this episode to help get the word out. Thank you for listening.